right, Jesus, we just want you to know that right now, that we need you. Look at our world. We look at our lives. Think about the things we've learned in this series, that our world is divisive and it's full of conflict and hate and anger, violence. Lord, we need you. And then we look at our personal lives and some of us really struggle at struggling financially, we're at career or job, our marriage with our kids, have conflict. And God, we just declare today that we need you. You are our only hope. Thank you so much for your love. Now I pray as we talk about a really delicate and maybe difficult subject, you would help each of us to know that this is a safe place, that we'd move towards you in this area of forgiveness, that we could really be set free today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, you can go and have a seat. That'd be wonderful and welcome. And I forgot part of what I needed today uh, as I walked up here. And so let's just go down for a moment. And I need to get my rock I forgot. You guys all got one you came in. So you're ready for this. You're thinking, what do we have a rock for today? Remember last week we talked about this idea that we all judge, everyone judges. And I made a joke that you're all judging me as I speak. Well, today you just have a rock you can throw at me, okay? If I hit a blooper, I know I've got just something to actually know. We'll get serious in just a minute. We're going to use these, and I think in a way it'll be very effective today. And so we're in this series called Love Everyone Always. We've talked about love. We've talked about respect. We've talked about accepting people, and uh, it's been hard. I've had lots of conversations, and uh, at the same time, as some people are expressing how hard it is, other people are expressing how freeing it is, and I think it's both. As we wrestle with this, as we talk about really where we're at as culture and uh, how we can respond, I think that's one of the things you want to know is how can I respond as a follower of Jesus in my culture? And so that's what we've been learning in this series. And so I just want you to know that as I've looked at this message for today, that I've really just asked God to help me, to help guide me, because the message today has the potential to be rough on some of us, actually tough, uh, because of some pain in the past, something that's not been resolved. And I just want you to know that right up front, I really care about that. And I've been praying that God would be the one who holds you today because of the experiences maybe you've had from the actions or the inactions of others or the words that maybe someone has spoken to you in some way. Many times from those who were closest or most trouble, uh, trusted or who mattered most, we were hurt or abused in some way. And I'm just so sorry for the pain that was inflicted to you. And, and what I want us all to hear as we begin today, as we start this, is that God wants to set all of us free. He wants us to set us free from bitterness and the resentment that can take root in our hearts. And he wants to show us how to do that through a process called forgiveness. Now, here's why this is so important as we think about this. Researchers have discovered that when we have unprocessed pain or trauma that's happened to us in some way, and if we hold on to the hurt and the resentment and the bitterness toward a perpetrator that was doing something against us, and we refuse, 
we refuse to forgive, it can actually do tremendous harm to our health, to our emotions, and to our relationships. Unforgiveness leads to depression. It leads to high blood pressure. It leads to self-destructive habits as we try to cover up in some way the pain we have through addictions. It can lead to disastrous behaviors against others as we're trying to relieve the pain that we have inside if it's not dealt with properly. Unforgiveness can even hinder and block your intimacy with God. Because if you choose not to forgive, you're actually going against what God said. This is serious, serious stuff. So I'm just going to invite you now, if you grab your message notes out of your program, they look like this, you'll be able to follow along, and uh, all the Bible verses I'm going to use, we're going to be all over the Bible today in many different places, so this might be your easier approach. But I just want to recommend, if you don't have a Bible, we'd love to give you one. And so if you'll stop right at that bookshelf right up there, there's some of these Bibles. You can have one. It's free. It's our gift. We'd love to see you have a Bible in your home that you can read as well. Right at the top of your notes is the verse that's the theme verse for the series, and it's from Matthew 7, 12. And it's a really familiar verse to uh, those who are part of the church world and actually in secular world because it's used in many ways as people are talking about how to treat each other, and it's called the golden rule. So I'm just going to ask if we could if we put the verse on the screens, and I'm going to ask if you'd read it out loud with me, okay? Ready, go. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. And then we've been looking at it from the message paraphrase, and so I'll read this to you. Uh, Eugene Peterson paraphrases that verse this way, and I think it's so good that we hear other words that can help us to kind of digest what was that Jesus said. Here's a simple rule of thumb guide for behavior. Ask yourself what you want people to do for you, then grab the initiative, I love that strong word, and do it for them. Add up God's law and the prophets, and this is what you get. So this is called the golden rule, and we've used this as our launching point in the series because it gives us, actually, it gives us very clear direction on how we should treat others in the time that we live in of divisiveness, hatred, anger, violence, mistrust, and disrespect. The golden rule, do to others what you would wish others would do to you. It's so clear. Do to others what you wish would be done to or for you. It's so clear, but why is it so hard? Why is it so hard? We're going to talk today about one particular issue that we all want others to do for us. I'm going to ask us if we would be willing to do for them. And it's this whole idea of forgiveness. We talk about how to forgive others as we want to be forgiven. Now, see, one of the problems when it comes to forgiveness is that some of us have some misconceptions about about what forgiveness actually is. So what I want to do is first, I want to debunk some of the forgiveness myths that some of us may carry that kind of lock us up and keep us captive and keep us from being able to forgive others. So kind of four ideas. First, forgiveness does not mean reconciliation. So right away, I just want you to, that's a myth that forgiveness and reconciliation are the same. And so for some of you, you're like, whew, I can breathe now. You're not asking me to be best buddies with the person who's hurt me. No, I'm not. Not forgive, forgiveness is not reconciliation. See, many people believe that. They believe that it must result in reconciliation, and so they stay away from it because there's no way that they would want to be in proximity with the person who's hurt them so much. And I'll just say the reason this isn't 
possible is that it actually literally may not be possible because there may be people in your world that have hurt you in some way who are no longer living. So how can you think that if forgiveness equals reconciliation, how can you do that for someone who's no longer here? Or it may be impossible even physically, all kinds of different reasons why it's impossible. One article I read in preparation for today said it this way, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Reconciliation is a two-person sport. Forgiveness is a solo sport. It's a solo deal that we're talking about today. Second, it just may not be prudent, right? It just may not be wise to think that, oh yeah, I've got abused or I've been hurt in some way and I'm just going to walk right back in. That's a sign of forgiveness into relationship. It's just not prudent to do that. It's not wise to walk back in when someone's abused or betrayed you. If they've not repented, if they've not changed, if they've not done some serious, serious work that caused them to be the way they were that caused you that hurt. It's just not wise or it's not prudent to do that. It's not what the Bible's asking us to do. In forgiveness, there is no pressure to resume the relationship. No pressure. Some people think that, and then just the thought of reconciling, the thought of resuming the relationship keeps them locked behind a cell of bitterness because they can't imagine actually doing that. So that's a myth, okay? Second myth is this. Forgiveness does not mean forgetting. Wow, I don't know whoever dreamed up the phrase forgive and forget. It is so not true, so not real, so not possible. It's not even humanly possible to do this. To forget in most instances is just totally impossible. If I'm going to try to forget the pain that was inflicted to me in order to be able to be, know that I'm forgiven somebody, I, I can't do that. And I realize if I, if I have to forget the pain first, I may, be, I may never be able to forgive because it's impossible for human beings to forget. Impossible. It's a myth that you can just forgive and forget when you've been hurt. It's impossible. Third thing is this. Forgiveness does not mean denying the hurt. Oh, well, I'll just, the way I'll just show I've forgiven you, I'll just deny the fact that I'm walking around with one leg missing. I'll deny the fact that, you know, that you tore out and ripped my heart out. I'll deny the fact that I'm walking around with only one arm. You know, so it's not denying your feelings at all. You, I'll say it this way. If you're pretending you're not hurt, if you deny your pain, you're going to delay your healing. You have to open yourself up to the feelings you have, to the, the honest truth that you've been hurt. And for some of us, this is hard because we're so strong and we want to give this image to the world that we're so strong. It's hard for us to actually say out loud that we feel hurt. And then lastly, Forgiveness does not require an apology. It does not require an apology. See, many people are waiting for people just to come up to them and say, I'm sorry. Wouldn't you long for that from someone that's hurt you, that they would just actually come up and say, I'm sorry? See, the truth is, most people will never, ever say, I'm sorry. And then they'll follow it with, will you forgive me? And so then if they're not going to say, I'm sorry, then you're left with a choice. If I'm going to carry the offense or I'm going to release the offense and let it go. Some people get stuck that they believe that forgiveness should only be given when someone asks for forgiveness. And so they don't do it because they stand back and say, you've not asked me, so I can't do this. See, forgiveness, folks, is possible whether someone asks for it or not, whether someone apologizes or not. So this whole idea of forgiveness is so, you know, so important to us, the analogy someone gave one time is this, is that forgiveness is like drinking poison with hopes the other person dies. <laughs> Lack of forgiveness is like drinking poison hoping that the other person dies. So I just want to add this as, uh, before we go on. 
is that um, as you're thinking about forgiveness today, what, what I'm hoping is that there's one thing that might happen in us, okay? I, I really want us to forgive. I want us to be able to, to let other people go. We're going to talk about how to do that in just a minute. But here's what I want to challenge you with. Is there someone in your world that you know you've hurt? If you're, is there someone you know that carries a grudge against you? I mean, you may think that it's not reasonable that they do, but is there someone in your world that really has hurt, been hurt by you? I just want to encourage you that even though forgiveness does not require an apology, an apology goes a long way to grease the wheels of forgiveness. And so maybe for you, it would be going to someone and offering an apology and asking for forgiveness from them. So hopefully that clears up some of the myths about forgiveness. And now I'm going to walk through how do we forgive and just you know kind of get to the or the rubber meets the road here as we're going to go through this. So the first is this. If I'm going to become a forgiver, I must for remember how God forgives. If I, I can't forgive unless I remember how I've been forgiven by God. Can't do that. See, our willingness and ability to forgive is rooted in receiving and knowing, personally experiencing God's forgiveness of us. Every opportunity you have to forgive is an opportunity to draw attention to the God who delights to show mercy and forgive. Pastor John read this verse to us earlier from Colossians 3. It's just full of so much challenge. Make allowance for each other's faults. Right away, it's just it's calling us to, I'm in, I'm in relationship, and so I'm uh, filling in the gaps, and I'm making allowance for where you're weak, and I'm strong in some way. And he says, and forgive anyone who offends you. That, that's anyone? Does that leave anyone out? No. So there's lots of offensive people, right? And so anyone who offends you, and then this is the key word, underline it and circle it. Remember, remember the Lord forgave you, so you must forgive others. So he calls us, Paul is calling us to remember what God has done through us through Jesus Christ on the cross. And that's one of the purposes of communion. As we study communion, Jesus says that you would do this, that you would remember me. And so Jesus knew that we needed to have moments where we'd have communion. We'd come back to the opportunity we can have to experience the cross, whether we've been away a long time or whether we've just drifted recently or whether we're just confused a little bit. But we come back consistently and remember what he's done for us on the cross that we could have forgiveness. So we have communion for that reason. First Corinthians 11, Paul writes about it and he says, communion is a time to remember the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus on our behalf. So that's why we're having communion today as we also talk about forgiveness because we need to remember what God has done for us. Tim Keller says it this way. He says, if you know God's love and forgiveness, then there is a limit to how deeply another person can hurt you. He or she can't touch your real identity, wealth, and significance. The more you rejoice in your own forgiveness, the quicker you will be to forgive others, your own Forgiveness. So remembering and celebrating our own forgiveness, it does two things. One, it reminds me of my sinful condition. So it's easy to point fingers at other people and say, well, they're bad or they're a sinner like this. And then we can excuse ourselves and we don't seem as bad or we're not really a sinner. But it reminds me first when I have communion, I am a sinner and I needed grace. And the second one is it reminds me of God's grace that he gives to me. So when I forgive then, what I'm doing is I'm giving to other people the same grace I received the same grace I would want other people to give to me as well. 
And it helps us to forgive when we remember how God has forgiven us. And then we express through communion, that's what we're going to do in a few moments, express through communion our gratitude and our celebration over the grace we've experienced. The first thing I have to do is I have to remember what God's done for me. Second is this. If I'm going to become a forgiver, I must relinquish my thoughts of vengeance. I say it, you know, it's really easy to relinquish my thoughts for vengeance. I must give up the right to get even, in other words. See, we struggle in this area to forgive because we're so caught up with wanting revenge. We want retaliation. We want retribution. We want the other person just to acknowledge that we are hurt. And so we want them to be able to respond in some way before we do that. So uh, we want to take them down in some way. Now, this isn't on your notes. You want to write this down. Romans 12, 19. Romans 12, 19. I wish I would put it on your notes. Wasn't, you somehow missed me. Here it is. Dear friends, never take revenge. Okay, so key right there, never take revenge. Leave that to the righteous anger of God. So you're going to leave revenge in God's court because righteous, holy anger. For the scriptures say, this is God saying, I will take revenge, I will pay them back, says the Lord. So when you think about revenge, you think about who's going to do a better job of being able to have justice. Is it me or God? I think it's God, right? Every time. I think he knows more clearly what the justice would be that would be most suited for the offense that actually happened. So God is a God of love, and because he's a God of love, he has righteous anger. Some of you really struggle with God having anger. He has righteous anger. He really does. Toward those who hurt others, toward those who abuse others, toward those who uh, mistreat others, toward those who take advantage of others in some way. And he will see to it. This is his promise. He will see to it that they receive justice for their actions. He'll see to it. And so he asks us, will you trust me? Will you trust me? If I've promised to take care of justice, then will you trust me to let me take care of it? And we'd ask, our, ask ourselves that question again. Who am I to think that my, the way I would mete out justice would be equivalent or as effective as God. So I have to put justice in his court. And since I, I can't do that, I need to relinquish my thoughts of vengeance. Some of you are allowing, as we said just a while ago, some of you are allowing that person who hurt you 5, 10, 20, 30, maybe 40 years ago to continue to hurt you. You're allowing that to happen. Some of them are dead now, but you're allowing them to continue to hurt you. And they may not be able to personally hurt you in any way anymore, you will, but you allow them to continue to hurt you because you continue to nurse a grudge against them. I'm, I'm going to give two examples of people that I think just to simplify exactly what I'm talking about here, about relinquishing the need for vengeance. The first is Nadine Collier. And Nadine was, um, her mother was one of the nine people who was killed at Emanuel AME Church in Charleston, South Carolina by Dylan Roof. And so here's a quote that she's speaking just a couple of days after her mother's murder uh, by Dylan. And so she's quoted this way. But I put the end on here, but I want to read the whole quote to you because it really is significant. She says this. She looks out, and she's speaking to Dylan. She says, I forgive you. You took something very precious away from me. I will never get to talk to her ever again. I will never be able to hold her again. But I forgive you and have mercy on your soul. So right away, she knows that there's a deep hurt that's happened to her. She's not denying her pain here when she's doing this, but she knows that if she doesn't deal with it quickly, 
and effectively that this is going to get inside of her and it's going to become uh, something that causes her pain and causes her to be, you know, actually disenfranchised from God and others. Now, the second one is Mark Heyer. Mark Heyer is the father of Heather Heyer. And at the funeral of his daughter, who was violently killed by the crazy maniac, violent person who uh, took off in a car in Charlottesville, South Carolina. And so he had killed their daughter. And this is what he says at her funeral. I think this dad is just awesome. I just think about what the Lord said on the cross. Forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. This is the guy that just killed his daughter. And he's thinking about what Jesus said. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. And then he says, I include myself in that, in forgiving the guy who did this. So he's saying, I don't know what I'm doing. So he's including himself in the category of people who hurt people and sinners. And he's also saying about the guy who did this. We just need to stop all this stuff and forgive each other. Love everyone always. I think that's what the Lord would want us to do is to stop. Just love one another. So here's two examples of folks who said, I'm going to relinquish the right. I'm going to relinquish my sense of I have to respond in vengeance in some way because of what is done. See, forgiveness, this is what happened with these two people and maybe what needs to happen with you as well. Forgiveness allows us to see the other person not as a monster. They may have done evil, diabolical things, but not as a monster, but as a human being who's deeply sinful in need of God's forgiveness, just like me. That's what these folks are saying. And so you can either keep hurting or you can hold, and holding on to bitterness, or you can let go and move into the idea of being free. Paul says it this way in Ephesians 4. He says, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Instead, he says, be kind to each other, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, just as God through Christ has forgiven you. Paul's calling us in Ephesians, just like he did in Colossians, to respond with grace of others to others because of the grace we have received ourselves from God. And so he's made that's possible. That makes forgiveness possible is what he's saying. And then Jesus says it this way, you know, you ever wish you could just like cut verses out of the Bible? Like this one's just a little too hard. Oh, this is one of them. As you read this, you're like, I don't, surely they misquoted Jesus here. But this is what he says. To those who are willing to listen, so he's saying not everybody's going to be willing to listen to this because of how hard it is. But to those who are willing to listen, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who hurt you. Wow. What Jesus is calling us to is he's calling us to a higher level of living in these verses. He's calling us to respond to evil with good. Not to respond to evil with evil, but to respond to evil with good. And as impossible as what he's saying sounds, I just want to ask it this way. Would you be willing to take Jesus at his word? And would you be willing to trust God and take God at his word in everything he says? Because this is one of those everything he says moments in these verses, including doing good to haters. We talked about respect. Some of you really struggled with respect. How can I respect someone 
and you would give me a list of people and you would be so mad at me for saying that I respect them. And I would say, well, we're not going to respect what they did. We're not going to honor what they did. But I will respect them as a human being that they still need the due process of justice as every human being needs. So that's how I respect that person. So I say, you know, he's saying, would you be willing to do good to haters? Would you be willing to bless those who curse you? This is really getting tough. Would you be willing to pray for those who hurt you? I just said, and just, it, it sounds impossible, doesn't it? And I've said in this series several times, what God is asking us to do is we really dig down into it, seems impossible, but here's what I've said again and again, God makes the impossible possible. God makes it possible. So you have to trust him. You have to do what he says and trust him in you and through you to do what you think is now currently not possible that is possible with him. So here's your anchor of faith in this. God always gives you the power you need to do what he asks you to do. Always. So you step out. He's given you the power you need to do what he's asked you to do. Okay. Third thing is this. If I'm going to forgive those who hurt me, I must release the debt incurred. I must release the debt incurred. Every time there's a hurt, there's a debt. Every time there's a hurt, there's a goes on your ledger sheet, there's a debt. And so there's a debt that must be paid. So I'm going to release them if I'm going to forgive. And Jesus says it this way. We sang about the Lord's Prayer, but he says it this way in the Lord's Prayer. Forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. The key word there is as. Forgive us as we have forgiven those who have sinned against us. But also the key is the word forgive that's used. So when Jesus was speaking, he, and it was translated into Greek, it was translated into a word. It's called a phemi. And a phemi means to release a debt. So Jesus chose the right word here. The word was used. It said, if you're going to release, if you're going to forgive somebody, you have to release them of the debt you feel they owe you. Forgiveness is the is the opportunity and the willingness to release someone from this debt that's that you feel that they owe that they're not even offering to pay, or maybe it's not even possible to be paid, but you're just going to release it. This is so hard. This is just so hard. Because when someone does something to us, every part of us wants to be vindicated, and every part of us wants to have our revenge. Every part of us wants retribution in some way. We want justice, and we want things to be made right. We want it made right now. In fact, this is hardwired into us as human beings. I don't know if you're paying attention. I'm just fascinated by neuroscience right now. The brain just can't, I just can't get enough study of this. And so as we're moving into Thanksgiving, one of the studies that I read recently talked about gratitude. And it said this. It said that if you will work on uh, expressing gratitude, thinking of something that you're grateful for, and that if you'll do that, that, it, that they, they study the way that the brain fires, and as you're just thinking of something that you're grateful for, it actually increases the reward center in your brain, and you're actually happier. Just by simply thinking, you don't even have to think of something you're grateful for. Just try to find something, and it actually makes you happier. So I'm, just, I'm amazed by this whole idea of neuroscience and how it works. But here's what they say about revenge. Revenge and retaliation, they've done this whole study on brains, and they you know, can map this out, that when there's a possibility for retaliation or revenge, that it actually triggers the reward centers in the brain to where you think that if I have revenge or if I retaliate in some of this, I'm going to be happy. <laughs> 
It's triggered. It's, it's wired right into us. So forgiveness is going against everything that's in us as a human being. Everything that's in us. Because it feels like it's the most rewarding response to have revenge and retaliate. Instead, the way to freedom is to release the debt. Release the debt that they owe. To forgive, I'm going to just mention a book here. It's called The Art of Forgiving by Lewis Smedes. In fact, if you find any book by Lewis Smedes on forgiving, get it. But this one in particular is called The Art of Forgiving. I have several we put in the bookstore today just so that you could kind of run over there and maybe grab one that might help you as you face the holiday season and want to work more on forgiving those who are coming over to have turkey, right, or ham and something like that so you can have a better experience. But here's what he says. He says, to forgive is to set a prisoner free and you discover that the prisoner was you. Because you're actually set free of the bondage you have because of your lack of forgiveness. Last thing is this. If I'm going to forgive, I must repeat the process as long as needed. Repeat the process as long as needed or as long as necessary. And I'll just say it this way. That may take a long time. That may take a long time. So we're going to use Peter here. Peter comes to Jesus and he's asking Jesus a question you know, Peter, we don't never really know his motives for sure. We can read in what we think his motives are. But he comes to Jesus and he says, Lord, how often should I forgive someone who sins against me? Seven times? And you got to know that in the culture, the, the number of times you were required to forgive someone was three. And so the perfect number in the Jewish tradition, in the Hebrew uh, culture, the perfect number was seven. So when he comes to Jesus and he says seven times, he's like thinking he's going to get a, a, like a Boy Scout pen here. Okay, That's what he thinks is coming. And then Jesus says, no, not seven times, but 70 times seven. 70 times seven. Now, when Jesus does that, he could be talking about, because 70 times seven is 490. He could have been saying that if someone does 490 different offenses against you, forgive them. Now, we know that people have a tendency to be, uh, I'm going to call, serial herders, right? <laughs> so we have people that, you know, people that serially hurt you or they're involved in that. So you continually get, to, he might have said 490 different offenses. He might have been saying that. Or he might have been saying, you need to forgive that person who has done that to you 490 times for the same thing before forgiveness happens. And I believe that's the more natural, more real more provable way that Jesus was saying here. See, folks, you need to hear this. Forgiving others is most often a process over time, not a point in time. Now, you may know at the point in time that you've done it, but it's more unlikely a process over time that you have to go through in order to do this. I don't know about you, but there's been times that I thought that I had forgiven someone of an offense only to have something trigger it again, and then I realized, oh, oh, there's that same anger. There's that, oh, I don't want to... Oh, bad for them. And so you get triggered in that way, and then you find out that you still have some work to do in this area of forgiveness because of the resentment in your heart. So the deal is to continue in the process until you really know that you're free of the debt. And one of the ways you know you're free of the debt is when you can consistently with the wish the best for the other person. Forgiveness is a process. I had someone stop me after first service. She wanted to give me a story. And she talked about growing up uh, uh, as a daughter of an alcoholic father. 
and then she talked about the anger that she carried uh, towards him, and she was, you know, thinking that she had dealt with this. She'd been through therapy. She'd been through uh, support groups, and she thought she was doing very well. She was driving down the road. She heard Holy Spirit speak to her and say, you're struggling with anger, and it's still at your father. And so what she chose to do was to just say, okay, you're right, God, I hear that, is she chose to uh, pray every day a prayer that she would release her father from the debt he owed her for the pain, he's still living, from the pain that she has in her life. And so she did every day for one year, she prayed a prayer release. Every day for a year. She told me that at the end of a year's time that she was talking to her dad on the phone, and as she was talking, she realized at that moment that she wasn't feeling like she wanted to kill him. That she wasn't angry that she wasn't feeling resentful, that she wasn't bitter. And she said at that moment, she realized that she had released the debt. But it's a process. I know I've been through uh, personal hurt. I know you have as well. And we enter into the process, and we're you know years down the road of forgiving. And then that person comes in our picture, or where something happens in their life. And you know inside, we're like you know wishing that it wouldn't have happened good for them. Uh, or we're still feeling that anger we felt in the beginning, we know that we still have to work on forgiveness because it's a process. Lewis Smead says again, he says this, you will know that forgiveness has begun when you recall those who hurt you and you feel the power to wish them well. Wish the power to wish them well. Now, I came up with this definition of forgiveness on Thursday, and you know, if I did it today, it might be different, but this is where I came up on Thursday based on all the study I'd done and the talk we just listened to, and so I put it this down this way. To forgive is to volitionally, I'll say willingly, so volitionally, I did it grudgingly, but no, volitionally, willingly, so I stepped forward as an act of love and mercy because I realized that God's forgiven me and he's loved me. He sent Jesus to the cross for me, and I've experienced his grace. I'm going to do this as an act of love and mercy. Set a person free from the debt owed because of the hurt and pain that they inflicted on me. So that's a big definition of forgiveness. And I'll just say it this way, folks. We have this series called Love Everyone Always. My goal in this church is we'd be the church that learns how to love, respect, accept, and forgive. And we'd lead the way. We would lead the way in our community. We'd lead the way in being able to help people to know how to forgive. And we'd be then the freest people on the planet. The freest people on the planet. So now we're going to have this time of communion. And we're going to do it a little different today, in case you've been around here for quite some time. And I know some of you don't like change. And some of you are going to need to work on forgiveness towards me for doing it this way. I understand that. I know how you are. Uh, but uh, we're going to do two things and, and as we have communion that I think is going to help solidify the message and solidify it in your heart because I think that any, when we engage our bodies physically, it really helps us, and we have pictures, it really helps us as well. The first thing we're going to do is we're all going to get up out of our seats and we're going to move to a communion table when it's time. And we're going to move to the table, and we're going to grab a piece of the bread. We're going to grab a, a, a cup of the juice. We're going to take that back to our seat, and we get to our seat. We're going to observe our own communion moment where we're going to eat the bread. We're going to thank God for what he's done for us by his son's body being broken on the cross. And we're going to thank God what he's done for us because of his son's blood being shed for us on the cross. So we're going to do that. So we're going to be a volitional act because we're going to do this because forgiveness is a volitional act. 
it's something I have to step forward to do. I can't just sit in my chair and do this. It's something I've got to move forward to do. And so it's going to symbolize the fact of your willingness to forgive. Second, I'm going to ask you to carry the stone or the rock that you got when you came in the door. I'm going to ask you to carry it with you. And what I'm going to ask you to do is I'm going to ask you to let this rock represent the person that you want to forgive. The person that you want to forgive. And today, you're going to symbolically release that rock. You're going to lay it on the table. And symbolically today, you're going to lay it down. You say, God, today I choose right now to forgive this person for what they did to me. I'm releasing the debt. You're going to put that rock right there and release the debt for what you believe that they owe you for what they've done. So I'm just asking, what do you need? Who do you need to forgive? And what do you need to release today? And let that symbolize that as we do it. And so I just want to say this. Also, some of us, we may have a really hard time forgiving ourselves. We know we've been forgiven by God, but we can't quite receive that because some of us have done some very, very dark things. And so today I want you to let this be a way that you're going to release your inability to forgive yourself. And you're going to receive what he's done for you on the cross. And you're going to know that you've been forgiven in some way. And I just want to suggest that that would be a way that you, this service can be meaningful for all. Maybe you don't have anyone that you want to forgive. This service, this, this rock just represents your belief that Jesus is your Savior, that what he's done for you. So what we're going to do is we're going to do this. We're going to have some music playing, and you're going to get to, to move. So here's the way we're going to do it, from the middle over. From the middle over. If you're on the floor, you go this way. There are two tables. If you're on the floor this way, you go this way. There are two tables. If you're in the middle, in the back, you go to your particular table that you get served. It's going to be a line. You're going to be standing with people. That's life, right? We're always with people. And so don't feel afraid because you're with people. In fact, if you want to, you can actually pray for the people around you and give them the strength to be forgiving as well. We're not going to talk to each other. We're just going to do this. We're going to hear a great song called Come to the Altar because that's what we're going to do. Our ushers are going to be in place at every station to help you. And so I just want to encourage you now that you can go ahead and move and you can have this time of your own communion. And then after that, we'll come back and we'll pray together.
there's hope for the hopeless and all who have strayed come sit at the table and come taste the grace there's rest for the weary a rest that endures earth has no sorrow joy for the morning. O sinner, be still. Earth has no sorrow that heaven can't heal.
If you haven't eaten the bread, go ahead and do that. Go ahead and eat the bread. Thank God for his son, Jesus. His body was broken for you. Drink the juice and you thank God for his son. His blood was shed for you. You celebrate gratitude for what he's done. God, I want to thank you so much for this opportunity to take a step toward releasing, a step toward forgiveness, a step to receive forgiveness, possibly. Maybe there's someone here who said, I, I'm choosing Jesus right now. I want him to save me. I ask him to forgive me for my sin, all I've done, and I want to be cleansed. I want to follow him, know him, and look be loved by him and love others for him. God, I pray for those who, um, that this has been a very difficult, difficult time today. That Holy Spirit, that you would be comforting, present, filling, and that they would be held by you, Jesus. Thank you so much that that's what you want. You want to give us your comfort, your solace. And I pray that you would help us now as we leave, as we think about this idea of forgiving, that you would help us to become a, a more forgiving person, each one of us, a, a more forgiving people as a church, that we could become a more forgiving community, God. We love everyone always. Always thank you for this time. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.